When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. Uh, we don't have a title for this yet. I literally have Vision Pro stuff as the title, but this is not an episode about the Vision Pro. Uh, the Vision Pro's reveal, which is Apple's Vision Pro mixed reality headset, has sparked an idea in my head, and Mike and I are going to discuss it. And it's of regarding if the web is stagnant or not with things like Web3 web and PWAs and virtual reality and AR and everything, where does the web fit into all these quote-unquote revolutions, AI, all that stuff? So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And just a bit of foundation for the episode, uh, Apple just recently revealed their Vision Pro mixed reality headset, meaning it's AR and VR. It's starting at $3,499 US dollars, which of course is what everybody is talking about. Basically, $3,500 US dollars is the starting point of this thing. But a- Apple says that this is the introduction to what they're calling spatial computing. The he- headset, unlike other VR headsets, is not gaming focused, but rather is an en- as an independent uh, PC where you can do things like send email, do video calls interact with other devices in the ecosystem like a macbook and those type of things um now there was one mention of the web in this sort of revolutionary video because apple sort of seems to be all in on this where they think that people are going to be using these things strapping headsets to their faces and walking around uh in public or or at least it'll become the norm that people will have these headsets on that's kind of what that's kind of the impression that i get uh from what they think the future is not an exact quote but um that's that. That's where I think they're going. But back to the episode here. The promo video t- entitled "Introducing Apple Vision Pro" on their website or on their YouTube channel, on the Apple official YouTube channel, in the work chapter of that video, they mention that the web comes to life at fantastic scale, meaning that you can resize the window. If you've never used VR before, literally, you're just in your, uh, you're literally in your little VR environment, or you're in your room because you can see through it. And windows, like on your computer screen, can, will be floating around, and you can drag them around, and this and that. So fantastic scale, easy to read text, and browsing the internet feels new is an exact quote they said. Browsing the internet feels new. They also showed off some open tabs. This is where I kind of got the idea because I was like, wow, in all the things that web developers need to know and all the things that websites can do, this is what was shown off at potentially a new era a new precipice of technology, a new, uh, new type of computing. This, th- this, this thing could, could, could kick off a revolution where it becomes normal for people to wear headsets, walk around in public, or even not even, maybe not even in public, but even in their homes, it becomes normal that they're just in their house using these things all day to get work done. And the web got this. Hey, you can resize your windows, you know, and a couple other things that I've already mentioned. So, 
the reason why I thought that, you know, this is a great episode idea is because we're at the precipice of this new era and the web has what to show for it. What is the web doing? AI is taking off like crazy. And as developers find new new things for it, new use cases for it, because it's so new, AI is going to explode again as people figure out these innovations. Windows Copilot could make talking to an AI assistant a constant norm and an expectation for future generations that go onto a computer and have Bing AI or an AI chatbot just figure things out for them, log them in, identify who they are. These are things that absolutely are potential or like in the making and absolutely could happen. What is the web doing? In this precipice and this unheard of age of spatial computing and artificial intelligence, the web is doing web three stuff. Things that to the public looks like cool. So I need like a wallet address when I could just log into a Microsoft account. The public is not seeing the difference between a centralized and a decentralized computer system. They're not seeing that. It's a marketing failure. Now, is this stuff important? Things like Web3, things like PWAs, we'll get into all this detail in a bit. But is all this stuff important? Sure. And it might be where the web is going. Web3 might be where the web is going. PWAs might still have a place somewhere. Whatever. But is it enough? Is the web stagnant? My my big thing with, with this is I had a very different reaction to the Vision Pro announcement. So I think you had more of a pessimistic reaction. I had, I don't know, I don't want to call it optimistic, but I had a very like excited reaction, especially for the web, because I saw what the apps were doing in terms of like uh, depths and shadows and stuff like that. We'll get into it a little bit later, but like I saw the potential of like taking what they were doing for apps and like, oh, I can do this on the web maybe in a, a couple of years, right? Have a more in-depth in interactive experience on the web. Yes, the web was just shown as a big browser window, um, but that's all the web is to me. I didn't, I didn't go to the point where, hey, that's all the web is. Having talked about it now and thought about it, there is like what you're saying is ringing very true in my eye, in my ears right now. And like, it's difficult for me to rebut a lot of this stuff, but I do see some benefits coming to the web from something like this, right? Like, because it, it starts from the native side of things and they trickle in. It's the same thing with design principles. A lot of times uh, you see like material design from Google or whatever, uh, whatever design language Apple uses, Cupertino or something. Uh, all that kind of trickles into the design language of the web in terms of found, like UIs and foundational stuff. Um, so I see that happening as well with this uh, AR revolution. If, if it happens, that's another big if uh, to the web. But I do have a lot of skepticism on that as well because we don't know where the web is going to be in five years or 10 years from now due to a couple of really big factors. Um, and we might like the web might be left behind. And I think that's what this episode is about. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to kind of dive into where I think it's going to be left behind or where I think maybe we can do a little bit more and, uh, differentiate ourselves. So. Yeah, it's a, it, it was a really interesting idea when you kind of approached me because I had a completely different thought process. Yeah, I, I remember I texted you about it and you were like, oh, you know, kind of talking about the browser and that. And I was like, no, no, like I'm talking about how 
technology is sort of taking off and going into different interactive experiences. Wearables are being uh, revolutionized here. And if this AR VR revolution takes off where it is the norm to wear a headset or some sort of optical device, uh, will this will this leave us behind our websites? And I'll mention this later on, too, but our websites, the new newspaper. I mean, you might think, well, websites aren't, you know, websites and web developers aren't destined for extinction. It's like, yeah, well, the newspaper, quote unquote, was destined for extinction and it didn't happen. So you might be right in that maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, but these are some things that we need to touch on. And I, and I have two areas that I want to touch on for the to sort of answer or to analyze the question is the web segment. The first one is development. And the second one is in the public eyes. So what they're seeing, the people that are not technical and don't really care about the back end stuff. We'll start with the development side of things. And the first sort of question is, are we spending too much time reinventing the wheel? New tools keep coming out all the time and they give us the exact same options. At the end of the day, we can build a blog with Svelte and Svelte Kit. <laughs> we can build a blog with WordPress. We can build a blog with no code tools. We can build a blog with, and this happens a lot, right? There's, a, there's more than one restaurant out there. There's more than one restaurant on the same street oftentimes. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't have options, but these new technologies are often almost treated like, oh, this is the next big thing. Oh, this is the next big thing. Oh, this is the next big thing. And whereas they might do some things better and might do some things uniquely, we're still building the same things over and over and over. A consistent meme that I see on Twitter a lot these days is that a web developer will make their own, say, portfolio or make their blog more specifically, their personal blog with React and a whole bunch of surrounding technologies and plugins and APIs and God knows what. And then you could the same, the exact same product could have been made for free minus maybe the web hosting using WordPress out of the box. And WordPress has been around for years and years and years. And there is merit to having different ways to solve the same problem. There's obviously the capitalistic approach, like I said, with more than one restaurant, people are trying to get in and make money. But there is merit in these different methods where sometimes you need more security. Sometimes you need more control. Sometimes you have a quote unquote, just a blog, but it needs to be very, very, very customized. And it's going to be difficult to get WordPress or a no code platform to 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 make that. So there is merit to having these. But they just seem to be so, so much like pillars in the industry where it's like, but 90% of the use cases, and that's a made up number, but like 90% of the use cases is we all made blogs together. We all made a marketing website. We all made this. We all made that. And we all argue over whether like, oh, I hate, I hate Webflow. Like, I don't like that. You know, that's stupid. Oh, Svelte is better, but Svelte isn't used enough. Just, just use React. Well, React needs this. And, and it just becomes this. Are we all just arguing and fighting over the exact same features? And are we consistently and constantly reinventing the wheel? And then as developers learning those new tools to make websites that we could have made five years ago with something like WordPress. There are exceptions to what I'm saying. A hundred percent. There's going to be tons of exceptions to what I'm saying, but many websites are the same marketing websites like it's like a template marketing websites blogs a combination of that maybe a little e-commerce and then and i know mike you wanted to mention this so i'll pass it on to you about web apps where like these tools like react and svelte and everything are better for web apps i see where you're going with this too and I, i've been feeling the fatigue of new technologies and new frameworks a little bit more lately 
mainly because I've been focused a lot on Svelte and uh, a little bit on React. And then like I see like Quick popping up and I see Solid and I see, uh, you know, Astro, like all these other frameworks that are very good and like very similar to what I'm using right now. And I'm, I keep getting this like FOMO almost of being like, I should be using those. But the reality is you're right, Matt. Like it, there is a lot being thrown at us as web developers and it's coming from very sophisticated, very smart people all around the web development space. This is where I think like maybe th- there's a big point to be made here. And I, like there's just a condensed amount of talent being thrown into frameworks that all do the same thing. Yes, they do it differently and better in some ways and all that. Where can we put that condensed talent in where we can get the most out of as, as an industry, right? Like great, our, our development experience has increased exponentially from 10 years ago. We can't argue that. Like, or we, we can't actually, a lot of people do argue that. People say that like HTML, JavaScript and, C- and CSS back, back in the day with FTP, just putting files onto a server was the simplest and best approach. And I disagree wholeheartedly with that, but I can see that argument. So I'm not, I'm not going to say that you can't argue. You definitely can. Um, but overall, the developer experience has gotten way better. Okay. You can do so much with so little now. Right. And you can, and, and deployments and all that have gotten a lot smoother and easily trackable, easily reversible. Like everything in that space has gotten awesome. Where do we focus now that we've gotten to that point? to make the web better as a platform. What features are we missing from the web? And I I don't I'm not going to claim that we have any answers in this podcast, but the point I think we want to make is maybe we should start thinking about that as the top priority rather than spinning up another framework to do the same thing that we've done a million times. And I I like that take and I think it's a a little bit of a hot take, but I do really like that take and I think the top, like, we're not in the top of the community. We're not the smartest minds in the web development space. We're not here to revolutionize the web. But I'm hoping that this reaches them in some way, shape, or form, and then they could start thinking about it, and it trickles it back down to us. So, yeah, it was an interesting – it's an interesting concept. The web app stuff, just to get back to on topic a little bit there, um, that's where these frameworks kind of shine. But as Matt was saying, websites, they're all almost the same. Right. Like I'm barring some design tweaks and stuff like that. And most of the web is filled with websites rather than web apps. So we're, it's getting into the stagnation process where like the, yes, the, the, the web apps are becoming a lot easier to build and they're great. But who, how many people really use web apps or re- use new web apps, especially, uh, rather than like, you know, searching and finding content on the web? And there is the question, too, of many of the web apps, so I'll take Google Drive as an example, have a mobile app component. And I think or maybe it does or did have a desktop uh, app is what I mean. So desktop app, mobile app, all accessing the same service. And the web app is largely uh, doing is largely just interfacing with this larger infrastructure for Google Drive. And this is this goes uh, without saying for OneDrive as well and other uh, online apps like they're is or was a Photoshop that you could use online. Those type of things will interact with your, in the the Photoshop's case, the creative cloud. And then that works maybe with your desktop app and this and that. So it it, it becomes like a part of like an infrastructure conversation, but we're we're doing the same thing. We're doing the same thing you could do on your desktop, the same thing you could do on your mobile phone with some differences. And we're doing it on the web. 
And it's sort of like, well, where the heck is the web going? Now, you might think, well, we're in Web 2 right now and we're in the transition to Web 3. And we've had this conversation on this show. And I would call Web 3 a false start. I have two false starts listed here. The first is Web 3. The reason why I say Web3 is a false start is not because I'm saying it's dead, not because I'm saying it's not going to happen, and not because I'm saying it's it's dumb. It was a failed, failed marketing experiment. Actually, I wouldn't even say it call it an experiment. I would say that Web3 was fa- was a failure to market to the masses. You we never we meaning the development community and the companies that be, they all got distracted with the crypto rush where Crypto became extremely valuable when in relation to fiat currency, meaning the currencies used every day, like USD, for example. And money making like that makes everyone look at it. And then it becomes, oh, there's a need for people to understand crypto really easily so they can get into it really quick so that uh, me, the entrepreneur, can get my commission as people buy currencies constantly and get my service fees and get that. That's where it goes. And just like Mike said, this is not making the web better. This is make, this is a, now a rush for money. And so the marketing goes out of control for crypto, out of control for NFTs and NFTs just fell flat. They are outright hated by some communities, specifically the gaming community, as I know for sure. Gaming companies, publishers, developers, they will try to put NFTs in their games and almost every single time it will get chased out of the game or will not like not really land well because it's like, man, what the heck is going on? And if we're going off the beaten track a bit and going into sort of the more niche play to earn games. So not the Ubisofts and not the Microsoft game studios and not those games, the play to earn games that were very much more indie, these play to earn games were huge or were starting to become huge during the crypto rush, but now they're kind of laughed off. I don't hear anything about them. I don't see any TikToks about them. And that's not to say that any of these ideas are dumb. It's not to say any of these ideas are going to go away. Like NFTs for me, I think NFTs are going to be how we do tickets in the future. Like instead of having a stupid pass that goes into a wallet and digital wallet or have to print out a QR code, I think that NFTs are probably going to be how we do tickets, how we prove membership to things, those type of things. But those use cases were not really shown. And some people got in on it and, of course, got into the money and it was all this. So, like, the utility of Web3, of which, yes, there is utility in Web3, was completely squashed, completely buried by things not being marketed correctly. And, yes, you can blame the public for that, where it's like they have a demand for money. They see crypto as a way to make money. Therefore, the, de- the, the you know, capitalism prevailed there. Capitalism did what, it, did what it does. And a bunch of products, a bunch of services, and a bunch of marketing came out to allow people to buy crypto, to hopefully make money in this crypto rush, this bull run, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But it didn't make the web better. And I'd like to point out that as things in the crypto space, so the crypto shot up, and then it was kind of stagnant, but high and like slowly creeping up here and there. And there'd be bad days and good days, but it went way up and then it stayed up in that generally that high area. Then some other apps started kind of peeking through and you could see people talking about those play to earn games as an example. But then there are also things like, hey, this is how wallets work. This is how you buy things. This is going to be the future of logging in. And the public goes, well, I can already log into my Microsoft account and get access to my email, my OneDrive, my PowerPoint, my Word, my Copilot coming up, my Windows. Why do I care about being able to sign in with a wallet address or a unique address of some sort? 
and they don't see the public doesn't see the difference in centralized computing and decentralized computing the same way that they don't see the difference between centralized and decentralized currencies. This is probably the most informed the public has ever been on centralized versus decentralized, but many people do not care enough to research this. And if they research it, they're going to be like, cool. They'll watch a 10 minute little video on it and be like, I now understand generally what's going on, but not enough to generate an opinion. And they're just going to move on and probably forget it. The reality is, is that not only do they not care about the other, like centralized versus decentralized, they prefer centralization in 99% of the cases. Because, and this is this is the limiting factor of the Web3 and Web3 marketing and everything right now. The way we have the web right now, where everything is accessible, easily accessible and free, does not fit in the scope of what Web3 really is. Web3 is the transition from all this crazy chaos of massive corporations owning most of the web and trying to get as many users as possible by offering free services to the decentralization aspect where users are going to be paying for like posting on Twitter. Everything. Yeah, they're going to be paying micro amounts. Like it's not, you're not going to be paying a dollar to post on Twitter, but you're going to have a wallet that's going to hold like $20 or $100, whatever it is. And as you use the web, it's going to tick down. Mm-hmm. That's and obviously, like just saying that out loud, people out there that maybe aren't developers or anything like that, you're going to think that this is insane. Like, I'm never going to use the web again. I'm going to, there's going to be an outrage. And that's what was starting to happen. Like you were saying, when people were realizing the utility, they're like, well, wait, I have to pay to like use this service, this free service that I could just use with Google or Microsoft. Like I have to pay money for that. Gas I have to pay fees? to store my images. I have to pay to buy this product. Like I have to pay a transaction fee. Like all of a sudden this stuff started to like re like dawn on the consumers and the investors as well. Right. Because they weren't realizing it to a certain degree as well. And this is where the marketing not only like it it not only failed, it was just, it wasn't ready. Like there is nothing. It was difficult to market in general, but there is nothing really marketable right now about web three, but I'm going to guarantee you because this is where the web is heading, unfortunately, but kind of fortunately, this is going to start coming back up because how we have it now, like I said, these big corporations owning big slotches of the, of the internet and getting as much information as possible from users and offering free services to get that information. It is starting to go away. We see that in the background right now with a lot of API stuff. We'll talk about that in a second. But like we see this happening. Google Photos stopped having a free tier for unlimited uh, photos, right? That was a very public eye one where everyone was like, whoa, I can't just store my photos online for free. What the heck? And there was uprage and uproar. But like the reality is that stuff costs millions and millions of dollars to maintain. A bunch of electricity too. People talk yeah. about crypto costs and electricity. Like, I don't know what the numbers are, but their their servers are hosting Correct. images. So it costs electric it costs electricity. Everything. It costs it costs a bunch of different things. Like developers have to maintain it. Like there's just so much to the costs of all these services that you use for free that we don't realize. So decentralization right now is a tough sell because it's going to cost you money. The consumer, it's going to cost you more money than you're paying right now, most likely. But the reality is, is that's a more sustainable model and a better model for keeping information within your own bubbles of what you want, where you want your information to go. 
And it's just like, it's not a guarantee. I'm not saying that I can predict the future, but where I'm seeing it going is this is going to become more and more of a viable option as these companies start to realize that they can't sustain these free services for infinite amounts of time like they thought they could. And people are going to be like, well, I can either pay Google the $5 a month or I can pay two cents a tweet or two cents a photo on a decentralized marketplace. So what's the difference? And now the marketing will come in and be like, well, we're cheaper, right? Or, and, and we don't, we don't actually have access to your data. And, and actually you own your own data. Like all of that's going to start to like hit, going to start to hit hard. So it was just early and a lot of it was scammy. And there was a huge other, uh, the other part was that like security problems were everywhere. People were getting money stolen. No one wants to get their money stolen. When one person gets their money stolen, they tell all their friends that their money was stolen and those friends won't come on it. So like there was just this massive clusterfuck of, of just this crazy amounts of bad things happening in the web three space. And yeah, it's just, it just wasn't the time. It wasn't the time it might be at some point. I, and th- this is not a financial advice of anything. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that any crypto is going to be better than any other crypto at all. I'm just talking web three as a concept, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it doesn't even have to be crypto crypto related. Really. I'm talking more as like the decentralization part of web three, because web three has a lot into it. AI is one of those things actually too, where AI will be part of Web3 and decentralization as a concept is more what I'm talking about rather than like the, the currency stuff. There, There's something there too where there's a misunderstanding in Web3 where people do not understand what's going on. Things are not explained well and some of the companies are doing a fairly good job. Coinbase and those type of larger exchanges are rather consumer where you can say transfer this, buy this, do that and it'll explain to you, hey, don't send this to the wrong wallet address and don't send it to this and don't and it gives you a bunch of warnings about scams and stuff like this and Coinbase isn't just the only one. I'm just, again, generalizing because that I was in a Discord of a wallet. I'm not going to say which one and And I saw someone go to the support and the person said, well, you know, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. It was a crypto scam. And he accidentally sent his all his crypto to a scam address and it was gone or something similar like that happened. But at the end of the day, it was gone. And the employee for the wallet said, you know, sorry, like, you know, I, I tried to get you to send it to this address instead before they took it and they ended up taking it and and this and that. And that person that was talking that was having the problem that fell for the scam thought that the wallet was going to be was going to reimburse them. And the wallet's like, no, no, we're just a wallet on the blockchain, this and that. That stuff is not clear. That stuff is not clear. It's not really written down clearly anywhere in many places. I've asked you a hundred times about things, Mike, and even you have said, like, you know, some of the stuff is changing by the day. The UI is changing by the day and it's not consumer friendly. A lot of it is super confusing. And so these centralized businesses like OpenSea, for example, and Coinbase, they offer a an inter an interaction point. They offer a way for you to interact with this. But again, it's like now we're pushing people towards centralized things to work with the decentralized things because the the decentralized things are not ready. Marketing disaster, total mess. And the next big mess I have on my plate here, I'm just going to touch on this because it's still being used and all this, are PWAs, progressive web apps. 
Progressive web apps, we talked about this on the show as these were a potentially a contender for making headway into mobile apps, and they have in some ways and really haven't in others. But we have broken support again, just like we do with browsers. We got Android supports them this way. iPhone support them only this way. We got problems where Windows supports them this way. This one goes into Edge. This one does not. This, you know, all these different things. And it's all this sort of crazy all over the place. But it's all to us, to the developers. We see all these stag- we see all these limitations or things that work and don't work on certain platforms. But the consumer has no idea what is going on. And PWAs are still important and they're still used. I don't want to say they're dead or anything. They're used especially for apps like Xbox Game Pass that can't get onto the App Store due to Apple's policies. But the public, when they're doing that, just think they're calling or saving a web page. They don't know it's a PWA. And even if a website it isn't a PWA, it just it install. If you say, you know, add to home or whatever it is on on Safari, it adds it to your homepage like an app. And the actual device handles getting rid of the frame of Safari. It gets rid of all the sort of browser stuff. And it shows just the uh, just the web just a mobile website, just like a web app or or the web app, as it were. And it, it takes away all that stuff. It handles sort of the framing. It handles some of the offline functionality. It handles some of that. And to the point where does a PWA even matter at this point? Like, I don't even know if the Xbox Game Pass website that they're telling people to, quote unquote, install on their iPhones via adding it to, to their home pages. I don't even know if that's a PWA or if it's just a mobile experience, a mobile web app experience where I could just go and literally go on the browser and experience the exact same thing. So like, what's the point here of a PWA? And it wasn't, again, not really marketed all that well, is rather niche. And just one other thing that web developers need to touch on that the consumers don't even really care or don't even really know is happening. And it's, it's, it's another thing that has fallen flat where the web could have gone really heavy in this direction and then it fell flat i think honestly the pwa uh, quote-unquote failure i think that's more due to app fatigue rather than a bad implementation now i agree with you on the fact that browsers should have handled it better and the fact that we're still not there yet is just ludicrous and obviously shows the failure of implementing something like this but i think more more likely what is causing the public not to care is because there's a million apps for a million things. And really on a day-to-day basis, we all use like four apps, like email, browser, uh, messaging app, and a game maybe, right? Like we don't use that many apps as, as a general public. Maybe we do because Matt and I are tech enthusiasts, but the general public really uses a very limited amount of apps. So Going to a website and having it ask you to download it as an app is like, it, it doesn't even make sense for them. Like, that's just why would I need this news website on my home screen when I can just go there as like a thing? And it doesn't make sense. I agree with that. Like, really, a news website being a PWA has no business being a PWA. A PWA is for something that needs to be a little bit more offline ready. Like, if you have something that needs to like allow you to do something offline and then sync when it's back online, that's relatively PWA material, right? That's where you need a PWA. And in those cases, the actual device can be smart enough to cache the page so that the the PWA component 
even if there wasn't a PWA, the actual device could be smart enough to cache it so you can still read that news story, for example. And anything that's still, you know, reliant on a cloud service, sure, you can't do. But you could still read that news story. You could still have those couple pages offline. The devices oftentimes are smart enough to do that. Correct. Exactly. So like you don't need the PWA in that instance whatsoever. Like usually you're going to a news site because you're reading the latest news. You're not reading last week's news or yesterday's news. Now, there could be some argument like if you want to download a whole, you know, the whole day's news for CBC or whatever, whatever website um, and read it on the plane as you're going on an inter- interconnected flight. OK, like there, there is some argument there. But regardless, when you're thinking PWA, you're thinking more in-depth API integration and offline support. That's what I see. Those are the only two reasons. There's not a lot of apps that need that, like really. So I think it was just, it's an option. It's still available and it is use used it. sometimes. People still use it. I, I recently downloaded a PWA for when I stayed at a resort. Uh, they had like a PWA for their like online booking of restaurants and uh Stuff like, and it had a map there, so you could, you know, access the map, the map even when you're not connected to Wi-Fi. That was kind of convenient uh, for what it was, right? Like it was a very basic PWA, but it made sense. It was on my home screen. I could easily access it while I was at the resort, and then I removed it when I left. Just perfect. Those little inter, like those little apps like that, rather than building a full fledged mobile like a uh, application that you have to download from the app store awesome like i would much rather just do that for a temporary period of time and then delete it off it should the home be screen. marketed this way like it needs to correct. be marketed this way correct but the problem is that the consumer doesn't see it on a day-to-day basis like this is something you see for a week when you go on vacation correct yes so you don't you don't care like as you're sitting at home you don't need these apps you don't need 99 percent of these apps so again it's just in my opinion it's more to do with the fact that people just don't care about apps as much anymore than it is the cross browser support. I really wish that Safari would catch up and allow you to click to install. But regardless, I I don't see them doing that because they're still they're still complaining because it's a it, it's a way for people to get around the app store, right? And that's their that's their bread and butter. Well, this actually bring like transitions really nicely and brings up my next point, which is browser support. Browser support, we're still as developers fighting this to an extent. Um, and this is another thing that makes the web stagnant, where we're constantly fighting uh, little tiny things in our own community, in our own backyard, instead of sort of pushing forward. Cross-browser support. Yes, it has massively increased in recent years. When Internet Explorer hit end of life, that was a huge jump in browser support. And then it got even better when Edge went Chromium. But there are still support differences between Chromium, Firefox, and Safari. And these are holding us back. They delay releases. Weird bugs show up. We have to fix things like rendering problems and all those type of things. We still have to test on all the browsers. And so these little problems that will crop up require developers to do workarounds, require developers to have warnings like this only runs on Chrome. This only runs on Safari. This only runs on Firefox, those type of things. And this is one other thing where if everything, if everyone was on the same page, but then offered a unique experience like Microsoft's. Uh, you could sign into a Microsoft account on Edge. You could sign into a Google account on Chrome and this and that. Instead of having the browser be the selling point and have the app that is the browser be the selling point for us that interacts with the web differently, we still have these. We don't have like one standard that's cl- like followed exactly across all the competing browsers. There's still a bit of competition there. And this is causing us again to kind of fight internally. But the public doesn't see that. They don't care. And it 
again, it's gotten way better. I'm not saying this stuff is not getting better, but it's a delay. Where people are using AI and all kinds of crazy stuff. People are using people are using all sorts of like we're we're talking about people potentially wearing headsets in public in within ten years, and that being normal, it's it's more than normal to have wireless headphones, a smartwatch, and a cell phone. What if the cell phone goes away to an extent, and we have headsets or we have some sort of smart glasses or something like that? Will it happen? Maybe. Will it not? I don't know, but. The web is still sitting here fighting over how to lay out things sometimes. And it's like, are we really still at this point where we're still arguing over this is how I handle media? No, this is how I handle media. Well, I'm not going to handle media that way. And it's like, what? Like, what is going on here? It's getting better, but it's still not quite there. Yeah, this one is uh, this one is an interesting one. It Like, essentially... If you're talking about the different browsers right now, you're talking Chrome, Chrome, which Chromium, which is Edge uh, and uh, Chrome and a bunch of other smaller browsers that have been built around that. Then you're talking Firefox, which is a completely different engine. And you're talking Safari, which was a branch off of Chrome, uh, off of WebKit, right? Like so Chrome and Safari are kind of close together in the sense because they branched off the same thing. Uh, Firefox is its own thing. So right now, Firefox is kind of the outlier a little bit for a lot of things. Um, and the issues kind of arise where stuff doesn't look exactly the same across the one. Again, way better than it was 10 years ago. But regardless, there is still that issue. On the one side of the argument is that people want there to be competition. People want there to be two, three different platforms so that the platforms compete with each other. And sure, okay, the, the platforms compete with each other. The issue that I see here is that what are they competing to each other with? There's a set standard that we have for uh, web development, right? Like the, there's, uh, what, what is it called? Um, the, 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 whatever, EC, ECMA standards for JavaScript. And then there's different standards for everything else, like, like how CSS is handled. Uh, there's set standards. And these browsers implement them in a way however they want uh, to work with those set standards. Outside of those standards, whatever these browsers are implementing are going to be so niche that no one's going to use. That's the reality of what we're doing, what, what the situation creates. And this is a hot take because, again, this is anti-competition. This is promoting monopoly because if we're talking monopoly, obviously Chrome is the winner here. Chrome has the biggest uh, user base. And if we promote, they'll be like, hey, let's shut down Firefox and Safari's uh, engines and promote Chrome's. The end, go- the end game is that, cr- like, what people are f- afraid of, and rightfully so, is that the stagnation of browser technology is going to be very quick. So Chrome is like, well, I have nothing to compete for. So cut that team in half and let's put them into something else capitalistically. <sighs> but if we have a consortium doing the, Actual feature request, like feature, uh, you know, the, um, not feature request, but the feature standards. Like this is what we want in browsers. And if they work separately from the browser developer, then maybe we can still have that competition a little bit. Now, again, ha- not having the three kind of, uh, to balance it out might have some stagnation, might have some issues. But I, the hot take that I have here, I, is I agree with Matt as well where I think a set standard browser that all three of these agree on and just innovate around is what we want. The same kind of rendering engine, everything the same, 
And then around that part is where they differentiate. That's what I want. And that's what the consumer will appreciate as well. This is a prime example of this is actually Opera, specifically Opera GX, which is the gaming browser. And Opera GX offers a different experience surrounding the main window that's displaying the web pages. The web pages really should be standardized, as Mike and I are saying. But then the surround, think about just like the frame around it, literally the app that is the browser needs to innovate. And that's where your competition still comes in because competition is important. But Opera GX offers, you know, a way for you to have like Discord and stuff like that in different windows. And I've never used it myself, but I've seen ads on it. And that's a way to entice people that go, you know what? I wouldn't mind just using the Discord web app I and, and having notifications and that built in. I would actually prefer that instead of having like Teams open, Discord open, then messages, then WhatsApp, then, you know, God knows what else on your computer. It's like this is one less thing. And I think WhatsApp maybe even works in GX. And so that way, it's just a bunch of different uh, ways to do it, to do the same. It's, a, it's, a, it's still doing the same thing, but they're competing in ways where they can sell you on the UX. They can sell you on things or or my, maybe Microsoft can integrate it with their to do app that already exists. And then, you know, oh, we can you know, with AI, we'll read the Web page and figure out your search. They're shopping for groceries and we'll implement that into our to do app. It's like, cool. Like, those are things that don't that that you can still compete on that can entice people to join your browser over the others but the actual web page display area if it's standardized it's just going to make things a lot easier and it's going to allow the web to kind of no longer worry about that and then hopefully move forward in whatever journey is next web 3 or whatever else is out there the next point here the final one for developers is something that we've talked about a few times and that is API reliance and support. So we've discussed how the modern full stack developer, generally they're front end developers that use a lot of APIs to deliver content into their user interfaces. That's an oversimplification. Obviously, full stack developers are still doing some back end stuff, but a lot of the stuff is front end and then they're just using APIs to like pull in an RSS feed or pull in this or pull in that or whatever. And many of these APIs are not from internal sources. So it's not like a head, like a company is buying or is renting a section of a, uh, or sorry, having a subscription fee to a headless CMS and then writing all their blog posts there and then pushing that to their website. So everything is either theirs or like they've purchased that. Instead, these third-party resources are oftentimes free, third, completely third-party, like accessing Twitter, accessing Reddit, as, we, as we've seen the two big API fiascos recently. Uh, information processors like RSS interpreters, so that it like, goes through and parses it nicely so you can like read that and display maybe some podcast information from a podcast feed onto your website, things like that. And this reliance on APIs really gives companies the ability to upend full websites because most of them are these third party things where they're not they're not related to you. Like you don't have a subscription necessarily, let's say to I mean, maybe you need it now, but you didn't you don't have a subscription to Reddit. You're just using the Reddit API to pull in your favorite posts onto your website. Now it's like, well, now the API costs money. And so what are you going to do type thing? Netflix is a prime example of this actually years and years and years ago. There were Netflix used to have an API and people basically had their own little Netflix experiences. There were Netflix apps all over the place on the app store. Then Netflix just got rid of their API years ago. And that's it. That upended it. And so imagine like a website that has so many different things now in it where you're managing API keys and saving user data and this and that. Could you imagine having something like a huge part of your website reliant on a third party, completely unrelated to your company's 
information where you don't control that at all. You're using their information and then they raise the price to 20,000, 10,000, hell, even $5. If it's a small business, some people are not going to spend $5 a month. And then, oh, great. I have user in my user profiles that I'm storing. I have information from that API because they've like shared, they've like saved certain links from it. So now I got to deal with that. And it is a, it is a mess. And what we're really seeing here, and Mike already kind of touched on it, is the the era of limitless free data and services is starting to come to a close and starting to get to the point where uh, companies and or the public are going to have to start paying for more things than they would have prior or paying more for less even, you could say. The Google Photos is a prime example where they still give you a free tier, but now it's not unlimited. It's just a free tier that that is limited. Before the limit was unlimited photos, unlimited storage, but we're just going to compress your photos a little bit. Now it's, well, we're going to compress your photos and we're only going to give you a certain amount of space. (laughs) So it's like this era of limitless free data is certainly cracking, if not completely exploding right now. Yeah. And uh, we're seeing like, again, you, you mentioned Twitter and Reddit and we're not talking like small amounts for charging for their APIs. We're talking they went from zero dollars to now for, for a lot of different businesses that built their entire platforms around these services, we're talking to, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions from the last, the last, uh, post that I saw from, uh, Reddit sync or Reddit is fun. I can't remember which one of the Reddit apps. They said that what they were currently not paying for would now cost them $2.5 million a month. Ooh-wee. So yeah, that's that's pricing the comp- pricing people out of the market, obviously, right? Like you can't justify that kind of increase. I don't know. I guess that's a twenty five million percent increase. Um, but regardless, <laughs> like, <laughs> like okay, that 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 is something that is happening right now, where Reddit apps are have forcing to close. Twitter had the exact same thing happen, where it was zero dollars before is now $10,000 a month or even more. I can't remember what the exact number is. So like companies really have to sit down and think about that. You know, you're talking $120,000 a year to do the same thing or even less than we could do before. That's a drastic change. Like everyone is like a lot of developers, especially we're okay with an increase from free to something. Okay. As developers, we understand data costs money, storing data, sending data, any part of the data is going to cost money for a company. So charging for it, that makes sense. What we're starting to be in shock by is how much they're charging for it. Now, that either means they're doing this on purpose to get people out of their ecosystem and to not use their APIs, which is possible, or this is how much it costs them and they're trying to break even. So you're you're talking a lot of businesses and companies having to close because of these decisions. So if, and, and in the future, let's say another, another startup starts something and offers a free API, do you think companies are going to base their entire platform around it? No, it's not going to happen because they see where this leads now. So the era of these crazy startups starting out around a different startup are, is also going to come to a close. So again, we're pushing towards centralization there from a capitalistic point of view, very hard, right? And that's what's going to break this centralization, decentralization uh, conversation at some point. 
where decentralization is going to start to make more and more sense once centralization costs go up and they are going up right now. So it's, it's a really interesting time to be kind of head like nose, um, like in, in this space to be like living through this and figuring it out as we go and making sure that you can adapt because I know a lot of people are refusing to adapt and that's going to hurt them. Like they refuse, they're refusing to like believe that every service is going to be doing this. And I guarantee you that most of them will. Cause again, we're looking at YouTube right now. We're looking at Twitch right now. The services that offer a massive amount of space for you to store stuff. That stuff is going to change. I don't know if it's going to change tomorrow, five years from now. I don't know. But the web is going to look very different in 10 years time, in my opinion. The big thing here to bring it back to the main point is that the web is innovating and is pushing forward, which sounds like against what my point I'm trying to make. But we're innovating and everything to hit the same goals. It like decentralized things oftentimes do the same things that centralized things could do. And it's like another option coming in. So from a technical perspective, from the developer's perspective, which is why I wanted to bring attention to this whole segment, just as for developers, for developers, we can understand things like this or for tech enthusiasts, we can understand things like this, where we see, oh my God, like this is a, a totally revolutionary thing. Something like going from VHSs, which was the analog home media uh, to play movies and TV shows of choice way back in the nineties was then replaced by DVDs, which was digital using CDs. And for the average person, it was sort of like, oh, cool, like it might look better and this and that. But it's ones used to play movies and the other ones used to play movies. They're they're identical, right? So this is where I kind of kind of getting a little bit worried about web about, excuse me, the web development field in general is that we're now innovating to do the same things which is exactly what all these frameworks are doing where new frameworks come out. It's like, well, this is a new way to do this. It's a new way. It's a new way. It's, a new way. it's like, how many times, how many different ways can you build a shelf? It's like, at the end of the day, the person that called Ikea that to order a shelf wants the shelf. They didn't ask you if you, if you laminated it versus painted it on by hand this time, like a shelf was needed and a shelf was ordered. In this case, like a, you know, Google photos was needed and Google photos was ordered. <laughs> and so it becomes very, um, in my mind, I see it as like a circle where we're all just like using the same tools in different ways and we're just coming to the same results in different ways. And whereas there's merit to that, I would like to see us sort of also move forward so that we can accommodate new experiences like, I mean, smartwatches, smart glasses, those type of things. Otherwise, the, the web is going to become like the newspaper in a way. And this leads into my, you know, from the perspective of the public segment, which is our websites, old news, our websites, the modern newspaper, not yet, definitely not yet, but the web has become a place to get information and read stories. But is the idea of a website getting dated? You might think, well, that's foolish. Like, where's the information going to come from? Great question. And this is why websites are not quite dated yet. They're not done yet, but. Things like AI technologies, like Bing AI, can scrape and read the web, and they'll come up with answers to things. If you ask it a technical question and it has an answer, it will give you the answer. And then it will give you the sources, the websites that it quoted or the websites that it learned from. But how many people are then going to go like, oh, fantastic, I now have the answer. I'm going to click on each of these sources to ensure that they get some of my ad revenue. And it's like, I don't really think many people are going to do that. 
there's also services, centralized ones, by the way, that are taking people off. They're taking people off of websites and onto publishing platforms. We, we, we know these as Google News, Apple News, and then whatever the Microsoft one is, Bing or Microsoft Start or MSN. It's a kind of a marketing mess over there for that. But that Microsoft's publishing platform uh, to read news and read stories, they're taking the stories either in part or fully from the original websites and displaying them on apps. Now, there's a reason for that. There's more eyes on it. There is going to drive traffic that maybe wouldn't do that before. I'm not saying these things are pointless, but is it going to make more sense to have a website in the future or is it going to have more make, make more sense for Microsoft to go, okay, you open up your website, quote unquote, website or blog on my publishing platform. You don't host anything. You don't even have a unique URL. I'll market it. And we'll split the ad revenue. And I'm not saying that's happening right now or anything. I know in certain countries, there's certain regulations where Facebook and stuff can't pull the, the, the news stories without paying a certain amount or something like that. I'm not trying to get into that, that nuance. What I'm saying is, is if Microsoft's already hosting the information, why is it hosted twice? Why not just have it so that, oh, and then if, if you, if you're on Google News, Apple News and Microsoft, Microsoft might be like, I'll give you a smaller cut. But if you're exclusive Microsoft to give you a bigger cut, and we'll split the thing. You have no overhead other than your writers. Is that going to potentially happen? Maybe. And also, how many times do you just go to a website? How many times do you just go to a specific website? Probably, You probably still do. And you're probably like, well, I always do. Just your favorite ones, though, right? Maybe your local transit if you need to buy tickets or you're going to your local uh, or to your favorite news website or you're going to something specific like that. Right? So there's exceptions to the rule. But many of the things that we do start at a search engine. Even things that we use every single day, like I'll go to OneDrive.com if I need to access OneDrive, but many people will Google OneDrive even though they go there every day and then they'll click on the OneDrive link. Now that's, you know, I'm going to the OneDrive website. So what are you talking about, Matt? But a lot of the things you're typing into search engines are not things like that. They're questions and the search engines are getting smart enough to pull in information right into the search engine. They, the search engine will understand commonly asked questions and have the answers built right in. They'll even have small snippets of longer videos when a search term matches a particular set of timestamps. Let's say there's a huge tutorial video that's 10 minutes and you just want to know how to align a banner. It might find out that the, all the banner alignment stuff is from minute two to four and it'll highlight that and play that for you. And yeah, you know, the, the YouTube video is still playing. They're still getting revenue. but you're not going to youtube.com for that. And you're not going to the website more than likely. If you are just asking a quick question, if you're looking at one of those FAQ or like people also ask section and people SEO folks really want to get into those sections so that they're like number one and they're in the, in the, the cards, they're in the suggested videos. They, they're trying to do that because they're trying to get up to the top. But then again, is that what we're after? Do we really need a website for that? And then is that going to lead to more centralization? But this is for the public again. So now we have the question of the public doesn't care whether it's on your website or on Google's website. They're asking a question and they need an answer. Whether it's a video, whether it's from an FAQ, or whether it's right in front of their face. They didn't ask that. They asked for the answer to the question. And so the public's not going to care where this goes but us as web developers should, because if websites become the modern newspaper, are they going to go away? I'm going to say probably not. But is the newspaper really doing amazing now? 
Is the newspaper, the physical newspaper, are they doing amazing? Is that their number one source of revenue, printing the newspaper every day and delivering it to people? There's still money in it. There's still enough to pay a bunch of people for it. But it is not in its heyday. Far, far from it. That is not the primary source in which people get news from. And we might be at the beginning of this where it's like how the web started to take some of the newspaper space. Are we now at the platforms are starting to take the website space a little bit? Are we at that point? Maybe. And so, again, we're (laughs) we're we're in this this super weird area where, like, the web is innovating the experiences that we already have again. And it's just like. Are we going to get paved over by these VRAR experiences and apps and all this? Or is that what's going to happen? This leads to my second question here, too. It's all kind of encompassed. The public has no idea whether they're logging in or registering for a service that is centralized or decentralized. The general public has no idea. They don't care what it means. They don't even know. Half the time, people will tell me, oh, it's in my Google Drive, and it's actually in their OneDrive, because they don't, they don't care so much that they don't even know where they're getting their data, where they've stored their pictures. They just know that if they uh, open up the browser, it's in their suggested tabs and they click that. And that's where they're at. They don't know if it's Gmail or not. Like a bunch of people we know, like Mike and I have pulled teeth trying to get people to log into the services. They're like, well, I don't know where it is. It's like, well, that's fantastic. We can't log into your website if you don't know where you bought your <laughs> bought your domain name. You don't know where your host is. You don't know who, <laughs> who, who built your site. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, thank you. Would you like me to start from scratch? Like, <laughs> you know, at that point. And so with this sort of lack of knowledge on the public's behalf, mostly because of poor marketing on our behalf, the web development community's behalf, um, the general public has not gotten a taste for what we're calling the third generation of the web, web three. They've not gotten a taste for logging in seamlessly to services with a single wallet or profile on the blockchain and all that. To them, they just think, well, cryptocurrency's down, so I don't need to do that. And this lack of marketing, once again, just to bring it kind of full circle, has this pushed people that don't understand any of the technical things? Has this actually pushed them towards centralized solutions like a Microsoft account? One Microsoft account can access and manage your AI interactions. Your co-pilot coming soon over Windows 11, which is an AI experience. Your GitHub repos, your dev home that's coming to Windows, your gaming profiles on Xbox, your Xbox Game Pass, your PC Game Pass, your OneDrive, it's storing your photos. For some people, if they lose their Microsoft account, they're in some serious trouble. And that's the same thing for Google accounts. It's the same thing for a whole bunch of different accounts. Their email, all that stuff. And Apple's the same way. Apple does email. They're going to have your AR VR now. They're going to have your app, your apps. You're stuck in their ecosystem that requires you to purchase their software or usually the software is given to you, but it requires you to purchase their hardware. So you have to buy a MacBook. So and then some of the software obviously is paid if it's premium and this and that. I'm not going to get into all that. But these are centralized solutions. An Apple ID, an Apple account, whatever is a centralized solution. Are we we the web development community failing to uh, teach the public, the general public, how Web3 works in a a non-technical way to the point that we're pushing them towards centralized. And now the race is already being lost. Cause Mike's saying, you know, people have to start paying for stuff because like the day, the, the era of limitless free data is over. 
or is ending or is being limited, we should really should say, because there's usually a free tier, is being limited. Are people going to get into a Microsoft ecosystem? And, and like, this is a serious question. They're going to get into a Microsoft ecosystem or an Apple ecosystem even more. Let's say an Apple ecosystem. They spend 10 years in the Apple ecosystem. They have thousands of dollars in hardware. They have thousands of dollars in apps. Are you really going to pull them away to some Web3 version just because it's, quote unquote, a little better for one little thing? Are, how hard is it going to be to pull that person out there? And how hard is it going to be for you to convince Apple to have a Web3 arm of their Apple ID that they can't control? Impossible. Virtually impossible if it's not regulated. Yeah. More than likely. If it's not regulated or it's not incentivized. If there was some sort of monetary benefit to it, like great monetary benefit of some of some sorts, they might dive into that. But if they can't control it, that's going to be very difficult. And decentralization, guess what? You cannot control it. If someone, if Microsoft decides to open up their API to allow for login with decentralized services... They're not controlling those people's accounts. That's the point. Now they might, there might be some like fake decentralization stuff where they can control, but that's fake. That's the point. Anyway, I, I, the sad reality of all this is that you're right where we are as a community pushing people towards centralized solutions because centralized solutions are just so much easier to work with at this point from every perspective, including development. Um, so the decentralized movement was maybe too early again, and it might have even left some bad taste in people's mouths. So not only was the epic, you know, fa- marketing failure a bad thing for Web3 and all that right now, it could end up being a bad thing for Web3 potentially, you know, two years in the future because people will remember it. It might need to be rebranded, right? It might need to be a different thing altogether, uh, whatever. There might need to be some establishing, like some trust establishment done before we can generate that trust again. And that's going to be difficult. That's something that is being worked on. I know for a fact right now that people are working on reestablishing trust in, in decentralization in Web3. And it will become, it will come to a heat soon because, uh, again, these services are going to be more and more expensive. And that's where decentralization can come in and be like, this is where you want us. To and to and like this, the experience can get better too. So Matt was saying you have one account to access all these different services inside the Microsoft ecosystem, right? The good news about decentralization, especially in terms of like a blockchain or Web three aspect, right, is that that's going to be a very similar thing where you have one wallet, quote unquote, bad marketing. I agree, uh, but you have one wallet that can then access any different application using that same wallet that's built on that blockchain, right? And there's now cross blockchain stuff where you can use like one wallet in Ethereum to access like Solana stuff and all that, like not to get into the nitty gritty, but it will come a time when even if Jim Bob builds an application and then Microsoft builds an application and then Joe builds an application, you'll be able to, you'll be able to log in with one wallet to all three of those. If we can convert Microsoft to actually use uh, decentralized IDs and stuff like that, which is a big if. So there's potential for some innovation here. There's potential for something good. We're not there yet, but again, it, it's one of those things that hopefully smarter people than us are thinking about it very seriously and moving in that direction to reestablish trust. This kind of you know leads right to a head here where we want to talk on very briefly on how do, how do we fix this? How do we fix this stagnancy? You know, it, are we stagnant? 
I'm going to say we are. I'm going to say that we are sitting there fighting over like my slider is better than this one loads 2% faster. And like, that's the only way to do it. And it's uh, let's write a Twitter thread about that. I'm not saying that that's stupid to have a Twitter thread like that. I'm saying that overall as a community here, how many times can we talk about the, the like a slider or a blog or what? And Mike, can we fix this? Is there a way to fix this in, in, in our mind right now? To be clear, this, this is yeah. this is we're talking almost philosophically at this point. It is philosophical at this point, and honestly, the, the the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard when I saw Matt write this question is, we can't right now. We can't fix it in towards in towards like innovation. That's my that's my fear, is that we cannot make it so that all of a sudden we go back to five years ago where everything was free and open and we could use, you know, we could store unlimited amounts in Google store, in Google storage, and we could store and we could use the Twitter API for free and we can use the Reddit API free. I don't think we're ever going back to that point in time. And that's a sad realization because we, we know that like now it's in the past. Okay. There are some really awesome things that came from that, right? Uh, there's some really cool services on Twitter where you can analyze the data, the data and see how current events are affecting different things. There are some really awesome applications for Reddit and Reddit was a really interesting community of all these differing, differing opinions and really, really good interfaces for utilizing and seeing those different opinions are now becoming obsolete, like they're gone, right? Like all these applications that were built around the API are gone. Being able to store unlimited photos into your Google storage account, your Google photos account and share that with your family with a link. And not having to worry about paying $15 a month or $20 a month or however much you need to pay to store thousands and thousands and thousands of photos that you've probably taken now, that's gone, right? So now you're either paying or you're not taking as many photos or you're using local storage backups, whatever. You have to think about this. You didn't have to think about it before, right? So the consumer, for a consumer's perspective, things are kind of getting worse. And I again... It's a shift in mentality. I don't think they're going to get much better from what we had before. There will be innovations. There for sure will be something that comes out that will be really cool for the web. Something will happen, um, but it won't be the same. Hopefully, it's something really interesting. But I, I don't have an idea of what that could really be. But the, the sad reality is we probably can't fix what we have right now. Um, for developers – we're seeing kind of the opposite of what the consumers are seeing where our developer experiences is getting better. It's clustered and Matt's right. Like there's just too much going on with all these different companies, but we are seeing kind of the peak, the peak of the developer experience and maybe even it'll might even go even easier and higher. Right. So develop for developers a little bit different. It's kind of, it's, we're kind of in a cool place. Um, but again, yeah, for consumers, it's, it's a little bit up and down. The consumers are seeing virtually the same experience and, you know, they're, they're getting charged more for their Google photos or something, but they're just seeing it as, you know, regular business as things go up in price and blah, blah, blah. But for us developers, our experience or our UX, if you will, has been improving, like as Mike said, but it hasn't resulted in any sort of revolution for the consumer when they don't understand what's going on, as many of them do not. And I think that, like, to kind of play devil's advocate to Mike's, like, you know, we can't. I think that there are some things that are immediately obvious that would be that would that would help. I'm not saying that I'm going to give you the actual solution to these. Like, I don't know if it's regulation or whether these companies need to come to an agreement or I don't know what it is. First one, browsers getting on the same page. If everyone had that standard, like Mike and I said, for for actually rendering the Web page and then competed on the on the browser's app level. 
then that would be perfect. That would be like, again, I'm this is this is me talking. This is my opinion. This is not a like this is the end all be all. I'm sure someone out there is like, that's stupid. Then maybe there maybe it is stupid. But uh, next one is websites will need to start thinking about the Z axis. This actually comes from Mike. You actually brought this up, Mike. Instead of the X and the Y axis, only the 2D. The Z axis, this is to get uh, access to experiences like maybe having some uh, dynamically rendered shadows and stuff like this. When we have floating windows in front of our faces, when we have optical devices on, assuming optical devices take off, right? Of course. But um, so that is a that is certainly a big one. And the last one here is better marketing. And I don't even know who would do this. Like I keep saying the development community, but it's like the individual companies would have to market it. And it's like, who's going to do this? But W or excuse me, Web3. And PWAs having better marketing, it would just be, I think, would really, really help. It would give people a reason to choose a different app, choose this and that. And it would get people involved in the conversation, even at a surface level, which is kind of where we're at. Because when the public wants something, then capitalists will show up and be like, oh, let's start marketing. Let's start making tools to make that money because there's a demand here now. Maybe we should start having a demand for Web three things that aren't just all about the money that are actually legitimately good and good for what? Like, what is it good for? Is it helping this? Is it helping that? Is it good for this? Is it good for that? Is it more environmentally friendly? Is it more environmentally worse? Like, where are we better marketing, better research into this type of stuff and PWAs better marketing on what they can do if you're using one or not? Uh, you know, what they're useful for? Uh, what web stores are they going into? Cause I think Microsoft's like literally the Microsoft store, I believe has them in there or. You can apply. I think same with the Google uh, Google Play Store. At my last check, you could apply to have your PWA added there. And so it's like, does there need to be a clear distinction between apps and PWAs? Like all that stuff kind of needs to be sorted out. Who's going to sort that out? Again, we're talking philosophically. I don't know, because somebody would have to somehow take the reins for the industry and then not generate a profit, kind of. It'd be a little weird, but this is some wishful philosophical thinking. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed this sort of hot take, as Mike said, in, uh, in a way. Um, this is uh, this has been an idea that just sort of popped into my head right when I was watching the uh, the Apple keynote. Or I just watched parts of it. I've watched the little trailers on their website or on their uh, YouTube channel. And I thought to myself, man, like for all the crap that, you know, web developers need to learn and understand and full stack and front end and this and that and websites and web hosting and all this stuff, I'm like the best thing that we that I saw from what is apparently like the precipice of a new era of uh, what type of computing did they call it? They called it Mike. Let me know. Uh, what did they call it? Spatial oh, computing. Spatial. Mm-hmm. spatial computing. So like if this is the precipice of spatial computing and if spatial computing does become a big part or a major or like literally the part of computing that we use the most in the future. Websites got adjustable windows Browsing the web, web feels new and readable text. And this is what triggered this whole thing. So please, I know this is going to be a controversial episode. Please let us know what you think. I run our Instagram, so you can message me directly or you can comment on uh, the post that I'll make about this episode. Mike runs our Twitter, so he you can talk to him on Twitter about whatever um, and let let uh let us know what you think. You can also comment on the, the podcast itself uh, if you have the Podbean app as well as well if you want that. Um, but that concludes this episode. And before we shut things down here, many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on BlueBlackDigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on TheWebHacker.com. 
Bib Hashdash from Nine Block Media on NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via GeekLifeRadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via MCWebStudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via FireAntSeason.com. And Gunner Brunette via GunnerBrunette.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review on the platform that you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.